You are listening to a podcast from Influence Church. We hope it encourages and empowers you to make a difference in your world for the kingdom of God. For any more information, visit our website, influencechurch.co.uk. Enjoy the message. Welcome to Influence Church. So good to have you here. If this is your first time in church, we want to give you a massive welcome. Brilliant to have you with us in the house of God. We're one church in five locations. So right now, uh, Pastor Gail and Pete are over with our Penrith congregation. So pray for them as Pete is preaching with them this morning. We know that's going to be amazing. And we're excited for baptisms in a couple of weeks' time. Baptism is such an important step in every Christian's life. So let me add my encouragement to what the guy said. If you've never been baptized, then this could be a brilliant next step for you. Uh, We haven't even opened up until today the kind of opportunity to sign up, but I know there's somebody who has said to me uh, very committedly, I will be baptized this time. And that person, I would say, flirted with baptism for about the last eight years. And, And this year said, I'm not letting another one go past without me jumping in that tank. So if you want to join them, then uh, you can sign up, come and speak to us after the service. We'd love to uh, tell you more about what baptism means. And if you're new to the life of church, because we're blessed that in the last few months particularly, had loads of new people joining the life of church across all locations, but uh, something we do twice a year is our DNA course. And DNA is specifically designed for if you've joined church in the last year or so, uh, or you're just desperate to go over some of those things that we talk about DNA. DNA is a It's an online course just for one night where you can discover more about who we are as a church, the things that are a priority to us, how you can be involved in those things. And so I think in the next couple of weeks, we'll tell you more about DNA. But I wanted to start this morning by telling you an amazing statistic I heard this week. It's not a statistic about our church specifically, but it's a statistic that includes our church. Because as well as being one church in five locations across our, our church and influence church, we're, at, we're an Assemblies of God church. And Assemblies of God uh, in the UK has around 600 churches, just over 600 churches in our nation. But also there are AOG, Assemblies of God churches, across the globe. And I heard this week uh, that we are one church in five locations, but we are one church out of 385,000 churches in our Pentecostal movement of churches across the globe, which is incredible. That's it. That alone is exciting. But also, many churches within our movement across the globe uh, are doing what we have done over the last few years of trying to take the gospel into new areas, trying to plant churches. And so it is said that out of those 385,000 churches, when we're part of an Assemblies of God church, every 150 seconds, somewhere in the globe, a new AOG church is being planted. That's pretty incredible. Every 150 seconds. And we're responsible for just like half of that. Um, so we're, we're thrilled to be part of something where God is, is, is moving. You know, Jesus said, he is building his church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. And I don't know about you, but that excites me, that God is still building his church, that that the church is still alive, it's still active, it's still part of making a difference in our world, 
and in our nation. And so let's never take for granted, not just for what it means to be part of a local church, but to be part of what the body of Christ is doing around the globe. Come on, let's stand and let's pray for a moment. Let's thank God for what he's doing. Let's thank God that we get to be part of what he is doing in building his church. And also let's pray that God wants to speak to us this morning. God, we just thank you that we get to gather here in your house this morning. God, we've never met the 385,000 other churches, or not, at least not all of them, that we're part of. But God, we thank you that you are alive and active, that you are building your church today in our nation and in the nations of the world. And God, we count it a privilege as we gather here this morning that we can be part of the story that is still being told, that lives are still being changed, that destinies are still being transformed, the communities are still being changed by the light and the love of Jesus. And God, we thank you for that. And as we gather in your house this morning, as we gather around your word now, God, we're ready to receive something fresh from you. God, we thank you that your word has power, that your word wants to speak into our lives. So God, would you help us to be good soil, ready to receive the seed of your word? We know that your word is good. Your word has power. God, help us to be ready to receive. Open up more than our our ears. God, would you open our hearts and our minds to receive something fresh from your word today, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Grab your seats. So, like Rich and Colleen were saying, right in the middle of October, not close enough to Christmas to be talking too much about it, which some of you are very thankful for. But we have moved on a little bit from September. And you'll know that if you're part of church, uh, that September is always our vision month as a church. And so back in September, we had our vision month to to launch us into the new year. And it's always an exciting part of the year. Uh, It's always a significant time for us to kind of refocus uh, and refresh uh, our, our, our unity of our vision together. But just because something happens once a year, just because within our context of church, vision month happens just once a year, doesn't mean that we should live without vision for the other 11 months of the year. It's not just an event of, oh, that's what I do then, and then I move on. But actually, it should be something that is part of our everyday life. I don't know about you, but Easter comes round just once a year. Yet every day, I'm thankful for the resurrection power of Jesus. That just because you can put a date in a diary and say on that day, uh, the, the church calendar has chosen a celebration, doesn't mean that we should live with the, without the significance of the resurrection power 24-7. Now listen, let me be clear. That is not an excuse for you to eat Easter eggs 365 days of the year. Some of you didn't need that excuse at all. You've already been living in that reality. But that's not what I'm preaching this morning. Easter Sunday is a day, but the power of Easter changes my every day. And so if Proverbs 29 is to be believed where it says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Or another translation says, without vision, people perish. Well, if if that is true, then I want to know the power of vision in every day and in every season of my life. I don't want to relegate it just to a certain calendar event, but it's something that I want to know the power of and the reality of in every day of my life. So I want us to this morning, not not see vision as just an occurrence or an event. That it's not something that happened. If we have it, if we hold it right, then it's something that's still happening. It's not just something that happens occasionally, but vision is a filter through which we can see our everyday lives and we can see the seasons that are ahead of us. And so I want to talk to you this morning about visionary living. Visionary living or the power of seeing differently. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 18 says this, 
we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So it obviously goes against some of the kind of uh, the logics of, 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 the, of the world because you can't see what you cannot see. You can't see the unseen. It's, it's a spiritual application, but using our, our visionary ideas that you can see things, helping us to understand the idea of vision that you have with your eyes and the idea of vision that you have with your spirit. So he said we should live our lives not fixed just on the temporary, the temporary that goes on around us, the, the, the eat, work, sleep, repeat, the cycles, the, the calendars, the dates, the routines, the job, the bank balances, the feelings, the sicknesses, all of those things. It's saying, hey, that's part of your life, but that's part of just the temporary. That's just the scene right now. And it's saying, hey, how about you live your life not just for what is seen, but for what is unseen? How about we get some vision into the way that we live our lives? Paul is teaching us that we don't have to be, therefore, defined just by what we see. That your life right now does not have to be defined by how you feel. That your life does not have to be defined by the things that you are going through right now. There's something much bigger for us to live for. There's a different perspective that we can have in our lives. In fact, if you study that passage in 2 Corinthians, in the preceding verse... Paul says that even in the most darkest moments of our life, even in the most difficult seasons of our life, when we're going through those things, those things will seem light and momentary when compared to the glory that we have in God. Tim talked a little bit about that, that actually the things that we sacrifice, that when we give to the things of God, there is so much more coming back to us, but it's not in the time scale that we can see, and it's not a framework that we can understand because our faith is not just temporary, it's eternal. That we fix our eyes not just on what is seen, but on what is unseen. So the Apostle Paul teaches us those things that compared to, those, to what is to come in glory, even the hardest moments are light and momentary. And so the first thing we need to understand about visionary living is that it has eternal consequences. The way that you live your life in faith, the way that you live your life in Christ doesn't just affect how you go to between now and the next time you're back in church next Sunday. There's a bigger picture being played out. There's a bigger story being told, bigger than even our, our earthly lifetimes. Visionary living is about eternal consequences, not only in our life, but in how we can make a difference in the lives of other people. How you can spend your time just building something that's just for you to make yourself comfortable, just for, for you and your family, or you can orient your life around doing something for the kingdom of God, about making an eternal difference for you and for others. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11 says this in the Old Testament, God has set eternity in the human heart. God has set eternity that when we come alive in Christ, that when our lives have been transformed through a relationship with God, where God is not just something that's on the outside of our life, but God is part of our life, that actually as Christians, we're hardwired to understand something of the power of eternity. That we don't have to just live defined by the current season, even defined by the current life that we're living. That eternity, he has put in the heart's of men to understand there is something more, there is something greater, that I don't have to live just for what I see right now. God has set eternity in the human hearts. And, and yet sometimes when it comes to our spiritual vision, 
we're quite short-sighted. You know, short-sighted where you can see really closely the things that are, that are nearby, but the things that are further off, you're kind of squinting at. A anybody physically short-sighted, you've got to wear the glasses to, to, to do, that's it. So, so Gail, I think, is probably short-sighted. I've not been with her to her optician's appointments, but I know there are certain signs where I'll say, I'll, we were driving down the road, and I'll read something of a sign that's not that far away, and she'll say, how did you read that? And I say, how can you drive legally? without wearing those glasses, because something that's not that far away, and sometimes we'll, we'll be doing things in church and we'll be like discussing something. At the back of on the PA desk there, there is what we call the confidence monitor. That helps the, the worship team to be able to have some of the lyrics there, just in case they've forgotten some of the things. And Gail would stand here and say, that's no use to me. That's, that's nothing, I, because she's, she's short-sighted. I can see this, but that, that's very un unclear to me. And spiritually... Sometimes we're guilty of the same thing, of being short-sighted, of, well, I see what it means for today. I see what's going to happen in the next month or in the next couple of months, but, but I've got no clue what that means for the next 10 years of my life. And we're missing out on the eternity, the even bigger picture perspective that God has placed in our hearts. If we just live for the short term, then we're missing out on the greater experience. If we live for the now, we might miss the vision of what's to come. I want to show you a picture this morning, and uh, it's a picture I took in Cambodia uh, about a, a year ago, I think. And uh, many of you know that Cambodia is a really beautiful nation. In about three weeks and 12 hours' time, we get to take, take a team of missionaries to Cambodia from across our different locations of church. So we praying for them in the middle of November. We take 13 missionaries to Cambodia to go and be a blessing to the church. And one of the great privileges I will have as part of that trip is to be able to show off the, some of the beauty of the nation that God has placed on our hearts. There's some wonderful sites. This isn't one of them. Some really beautiful parts of Cambodia, some really beautiful people, some really incredible scenery, and there are also real wastelands, real piles of rubbish that just kind of seem to live there and get bigger and bigger every time that we go. And, and this isn't a particularly a beauty spot in, in Cambodia, but this was taken from the roof of the church that we support in, in Phnom Penh. In fact, it's been in Phnom Penh Tamai, which means new, which is the, the new area of the capital city where we work. And so it's a vastly uh, developing area. Just 10 years ago, this whole area was, was rice fields as far as the eye can see. And you can obviously see that there's construction going on, there's housing estates being built up, and, I, and, and the church is right there in the middle of it. I took this picture from the the roof of the church. It was a busy, I think, a Saturday afternoon of leadership training, and I went to get some fresh air, and I was hanging around with one of the pastor's kids, and so we stood on the roof, and for about 10 minutes, I stood there looking out on this beautiful nation, looking down upon a kind of stale wasteland of stale water with bits of plastic and rubbish and bottles floating up in it, because there's, there's just things everywhere, because they don't care so much for littering in Cambodia. They've got enough issues going on you know, with poverty and human trafficking. So litter doesn't seem to be on their agenda anywhere. So it just piles up in all these places. And I was, and I was stood on the roof of the church for about 10 minutes looking. And, and whilst I was there looking at what just looked awful, but I wasn't there for the view. I saw two boys come over, no more than four or five years old, and they came from the housing estate that's just at the back of that picture there, the Bowray, which is like this big, um, bit like a council estate, but a massive one. And these two boys came over, four or five years old, and they had some sort of very basic homemade fishing rod in their hands. And they came and stood in the middle of this wasteland. I was like, 
Good luck, boys. This will be a little bit of entertainment for a Saturday afternoon. Uh, and I watch as they stood there, and in no less than about three or four minutes, they caught two fish. And they weren't big fish. They weren't going to feed the family of ten that probably lived in the shack around the corner where they came from. Just tiny little, little ditty things. But I thought, I did not expect that. In the middle of this kind of wasteland field, that this, all, all I saw was kind of rubbish. All I saw was waste, but they saw that was, there was some provision underneath. There was something underneath the surface that I had no clue that was there. When I saw rubbish, they saw a resource that wasn't going to go far, but would at least give them a, a snack that afternoon. And I kind of walked away that day, and, and I'd taken a couple of pictures, uh, and, and I just saved it on my phone, and I'd forgotten all about it. And then about two weeks ago, I was on the phone to one of the pastors from Cambodia, video call, just doing some of the planning for our team trip in a couple of weeks' time. And he said, Pastor, I need to tell you about some, some new vision that we've got for the church, something exciting that's happening. And he told me about these community projects that they're planning, this greater resource and some money that's been entrusted to them. And so they're going to build another new facility, even though they've just built an amazing miracle facility, and they're going to use it to house people and feed all these people and reach out. And I was like, this is incredible. I said, where are you going to do it? And they said, you know that land? by the side of the church. God's just given us a great vision for the land. And here's what's going to happen. And I thought, okay. And I went back and I thought, I'm sure I remember taking a picture of that awful view off the top of, of the roof. So, so what I saw is just plastic. These kids came along and they saw that there was some provision. And yet with a vision from God, my friend came along and he saw it as potential. Potential to do something incredible for the kingdom of God. And it just taught me a lesson that day. One, I still don't want to eat the fish that comes out of anything that looks like that. So it made me not follow those boys home and, 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 and you know, I wouldn't be doing that anyway. But I thought that, that took a strange turn. But it taught me something that day that so often our perspective is out of line. Sometimes we get it Wrong. We make a judgment based on something according to our perception and our perspective, but somebody else sees something far greater. And with a God vision, you can see even something far greater than you could ever do in your own ability. But sometimes we get so consumed with our way of thinking. What's logical to us? What makes sense? What's possible with, with our understanding instead of seeking a vision and a God revelation for that situation? That just because it seems like it's, it's written off, that just because it seems like it's, it's full of waste, it's full of nothing, doesn't mean that God can't bring something incredible from it. It's all to do with our perspective. And, and Tim also mentioned about the rich young ruler. And I love that passage in, in Matthew chapter 19 where, where Jesus, just after his interaction with the rich young ruler, he speaks to his disciples who are asking all sorts of questions. And it's from that interaction with the disciples where Jesus says, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So right then, he's teaching his disciples that sometimes we're living based on our own perception. We're living based on our own perspective. And of course, it seems impossible. Of course, it seems like you'll never get past that situation. Of course, it seems like you could never achieve something out of this broken situation. With man, this is impossible. But with God, there's always another vision. With God, there's always another perspective. With God, there's always another opportunity for him to do the immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. So visionary living, it means learning to see things differently. 
Not to pass judgment too quickly on a good situation or a hard situation. But realize that if God is able to work together all things for the good of those who love him, then it's just, a, it's just sometimes a question of how I perceive this situation. How I perceive this, this season that I'm in. Because God always sees something greater. Go with me in your Bibles to, we're going to the Old Testament to Numbers chapter 13. Numbers 13 is a passage about the 12 spies going into the promised land that some of you will know really well. In fact, as part of our Vision Month message, Gail kind of came across this verse, didn't land on it for very long. But as I was, God laid this message on my heart, I thought, I can't not talk about what takes place here in Romans chapter 13. Some of you will know this. The Israelites are on their way into or towards the promised land. They've had an incredible moment under the leadership of Moses where God has taken them out of Egypt, where they've been trapped in slavery for generations, and now they've left Egypt, but they haven't yet stepped into Canaan, which is the promised land. They're in the no man's land in between. They're in this in-between season. I'm not where I was, but I believe there's something greater for me to step into, and it's in this moment that we learn something powerful about visionary living. Because Moses sends out 12 spies, one from each of the tribes of Israel, and he says, hey, actually cross the border into Canaan. Go into this land that that God has been giving us a vision of, that God has given us a promise of. Go in and see what it's like. See if it's good. Get a physical vision of the spiritual vision that God has given us. So they go into the land and they explore it. They see some of the great things and some of the difficult things that are to come. And they come home and they bring a report back to Moses. And this is what we read. It's the report of the physical vision that they've had of the promised land. Romans chapter 13, sorry, Numbers chapter 13 from verse 26. It says, when they came back to Moses and Aaron... And the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran, because they're trapped in the desert in between the two seasons. There they reported to them, to the whole assembly, and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is the fruit. But the people who live there are powerful. Its cities are fortified and very large. We saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. So they're presenting the fruit. They're saying, it's really good. It does flow with milk and honey. See how good, see how when you've been living in slavery and then you've been living in a desert, any milk, honey, or fruit looks good. And they're like, there's so much. But also, here's a problem, here's a problem, here's a problem, here's a problem. Here's all the obstacles that we would have to overcome if we were going to inherit this land. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the other men who had gone up with him said, we can't. We can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report. You ever been, with, been around somebody who just always spreads bad news? You see something on the TV, that was good, wasn't it? Well, yes. But let me tell you about the reality. Yeah, I, I, know, I know that the economic thing, I know there was a slight improvement, but this government, you know, I tell you, we're all, it's all going down. You ever been around those people? Don't be that person. Don't be that person. They spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those who are living in it. All of the people that we saw 
are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Notice that there's no argument that takes place. There's no discrepancy in the report. There's no claims of kind of fake news. There's no reports of that didn't happen. You're making that up. That's it. That's completely untrue. Everybody is in agreement of what they saw. They saw the same thing, yet it was what they focused on that changed their perspective. They all agreed. They didn't just say Moses, uh, when Joshua and Caleb came back and they, and they tried to give a faith-filled report, they didn't say it's just fruit, pure fruit, no trouble. They said, there are Amalekites there. There are Hittites and Jebusites. There are people that live in the Negev, in the desert, that, that could well attack us. There are fortified cities, but we can certainly do it. It's certainly worth They all agreed on the same report, but it was what they focused on that changed their perception of what was possible. Some said we can, some said we can't. And so it's really important for us to understand that we can learn and you, perhaps in your life, can represent either side of this story. We can learn from both sides. Of course, we can learn, and we should learn. But today, we won't learn from Joshua and Caleb, who said, we certainly can, and history says they certainly did, because they were the ones who went with just a few of the, what represented the rest of the Israelites and did inherit the promised land. But for a moment, I want us to not focus on the heroes of the story, but for us to learn a lesson from, from the other 10, for ones who said, we can't. Because the reality of the history that we have here is that they didn't. They were the part of the generation of the Israelites who never inherited the promised land, and they died in the wasteland. They died in the desert, focusing on the things that they couldn't, focusing on the problems that they saw in front of them. And so in that moment, they had missed it, and for eternity, they missed out on the promise that God had for them because they died in the desert. And we can learn from them because if we're honest enough, sometimes we're more like those guys than we are like Caleb and Joshua. Sometimes we're more like, hmm, I hear what you're saying, but here's a reality check for you. I, I, I know what faith says, but have you seen how I feel right now? Have you seen what I'm, I'm up against right now? And we don't like to admit that we're like these people, but more often than not, we err on the side of doubt. We err on the side of, of fear. So we can learn something from them because they're a cautionary tale for us. Because I don't want to, when the history books are written about, about the, the body of Christ in, in 2023 and in our generation, I don't want to be written about, about the ones who were uh, conservative and fearful and doubtful, but the ones who had faith enough to say, if God is for us, then who can be against us? And so we can learn something from them. What was it that caused the problem? What was it that caused the change in their vision? Why couldn't they live with vision? Why did they live with doubt? I want to draw your attention to the very last verse in the passage that we read here, the last verse in chapter 13. It says, we saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak, and we could do a whole study there on what the Bible says about the Nephilim, who quite well could have been giants in the land, certainly compared to our understanding of people in today's society. And I'm not just talking about the Staleys, but people who are significantly far greater in height, in stature. So we saw the Nephilim there, and everyone's like, yeah, we agree. We, we saw some really big obstacles. 
We saw some really big problems, but the 10 spy says, we seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. That's really important because what we understand through that final statement is that their limitation didn't just come from what they saw, their limitation came from how they saw themselves. Because there's one thing to see an obstacle and say that's impossible, but there's another thing to look at yourself and say, I could never overcome that obstacle. And it says, we look like grasshoppers in our own eyes. So from their own perception, their own perspective of themselves, they were already victims, not victors. By the way that they saw themselves, they could never overcome this obstacle because we're just too weak. We're just too pathetic. We're just too small. We don't have enough resource. We don't have enough strength. We don't have enough whatever it takes. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. Their limitation wasn't about what they saw, but how they saw themselves. And faith tells us that it's not just about the existence of God, but that that God is with us. That if God is for me, who can be against me? That if he's done it before, why couldn't he do it again? And Joshua and Caleb, they understood that. They understood the power that visionary living had to play in their lives. And here's something we have to understand that's important for us. When we, it's particularly when we're talking about this from two different perspectives. Visionary living doesn't mean living unrealistically. Because I think sometimes from outside of the church, that's what people say about us as Christians. You're just having a laugh. Just completely unrealistic. Well, how does faith come into play in a cost of living crisis? How does faith come into play with all of the chaos that we're seeing around of our world? It's just like rose-tinted glasses. You Christians just pretend everything's fine and there's no problems going on. But visionary living isn't about living an unrealistic life. It's not just about putting on rose-tinted glasses, just pretending everything is fine. You know, like when you receive a gift from somebody and they're in the room when you open it and you don't like it and you're like, hmm, just what I've always wanted. Thank you so much. No, 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 honestly, I do like it. And they're like, tell your face. And you're like, I promise I do like this. Anybody ever received one of those? I remember receiving a jumper once for Christmas going, oh, yeah, yeah. No, no, I haven't ever worn that color before, but... Uh, I've always wanted to, yeah, yeah, really nice. Or, or, or like when your significant other uh, makes something experimental in the air fryer and you're like, oh yeah, mmm, delicious. Food I can never understand that I've never seen and never tasted before. Just what I've always wanted. This is no testimony, I promise. <laughs> Fly buzzing on my ear. <laughs> you don't have to be fake with God. You don't have to pretend with God. God is not unaware of the realities of your life. God is not afraid with you being honest with him about the difficult season that you're going through right now. If we can be honest this morning, sometimes what we see and sometimes what you're going through stinks. Excuse my foul language. Sometimes the reality of what we're facing is hard. Sometimes pain is real. Grief is real. Sickness is real. Disappointment, hurt, it's, it's a reality in our lives. And just because we have faith doesn't mean that we're void of ever going through those difficult seasons in our life. 
Just because we put our trust in God doesn't mean that we kind of get this get out, get out of jail free card of everything is always plain sailing for us. I would suggest that that empty seat next to you would always be filled if that was the reality. But our difficult realities don't have to define our identity. That who we are in Christ is not affected by the difficult things that we go through. Just because we face a hard reality doesn't mean it has to change our identity. And listen, I am so thankful for medical expertise. I'm thankful that we live in a nation of where there is incredible ways that we can access um, medicine, that that medical excellence and and provision for us is so good. I'm thankful that that more than ever now, uh, our our medics, and we've got incredible medical people in the life of church, doctors and paramedics and uh, and nurses and specialists and consultants, and I'm thankful for them. I'm thankful for the provision that we have, that, that we can diagnose and define conditions more than we've ever been able to before. And so I don't doubt those things, I'm still thankful for them. It's good that we can give a name to a condition, but it's not good if we live under the label of that condition. That just because we can diagnose it now and say, well, that is the the illness that I've got. That is what I'm suffering with. We've got to be careful that that label doesn't become an identity in our lives. Just because you suffer with that illness, that is not who you are. It's something you're going through. It's something that with you're dealing with, but you are a child of God. You are an overcomer in Christ. You are righteous. You are set apart because of Christ. And so our identity doesn't need to be changed because we serve a God who is bigger than any of those labels, who is greater than any of those diagnoses. And we are more than conquerors through Christ. David said it this way, Psalm 23, verse four. David said, even though I walk through even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will, not, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Even though I'm going through a really hard time right now. Even though the stuff that's going on in my health or in my family or in my relationships or in my finance or in my career, even though the stuff that I'm facing is really hard right now, I'm thankful that this isn't where I live. I might be going through something, but everything I go through, God is with me. And if God is with me, I don't need to fear this season. I don't need to fear this situation. I don't need to fear the next because I've got a vision that God is with me. And it changes the way that I approach everything. For the 10 spies, the issue, the issue, let me say it this way. The issue wasn't what was in front of them, but what got inside of them. And that's the difference you can tell. And maybe you've, you've met people like that before. And maybe they've said it to you. You've met somebody while you're going through one of those difficult realities. And they're like, how are you okay in this season? And you can say, well, I've got faith in God and Jesus is with me. I won't fear because God is with me. It's because you, you're facing a, a fearful situation, but you didn't allow the fear to get inside. When the Apostle Paul talks in, in Philippians 4 and he talks about the, the peace of God, the peace that passes all understanding, he says the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's the power of God's peace. It stands God. doesn't mean you don't go through hard seasons, but when you're going through it, when you see it, when you face it, it says, okay, that might be going on, but that's not getting in. That might be around me right now, but that's not getting inside me because I'm protected by the powerful peace of God. So the 10 spies, they let what was in front of them get inside them. So without a vision of what God could do through them, they missed out on the promises that God had for them. Because Joshua and Caleb, they they had a vision of this is hard, but God can do it. 
The others lacked vision. They thought it seemed so impossible, and so they, they backed down. And if you're filled with fear, that's what you'll focus on. If you've allowed offense to get in you, if you're filled with offense, you'll see offense everywhere you go. You ever met those people? Like, how are you offended at this? Like you stubbed your toe at the bus stop and now you're suing the council for the bus shelter. It's like, what's going on? If you've allowed offense inside of you, you'll start seeing it everywhere that you go. If you've allowed anxiety to not just be something you've experienced, but something that's become your identity, then that will become your focus. It'll become something you're consumed by. Visionary living doesn't mean, that means that we don't allow the circumstances to rob us of our identity in Christ. That our circumstances and our situation don't have to rob us of our focus and our faith. Hebrews 10.23 says this, Let us hold unswervingly. That's a great word. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For he who has promised is faithful. Let us hold unswervingly to hope. You know, I think that whole idea... This whole concept of visionary living, it's wrapped up in that word hope. The reason you can have a greater vision for your life is because of our hope in Christ. The reason in the midst of a dark season that you can have a a hope that something is going to change, that something is going to shift, is because of the hope that we have in Christ. The word hope, it comes from a Hebrew word that farmers used to use. And farmers used to use about the certainty of a crop, of a harvest that was about to come, even when what they could see was nothing. That when you then looked out a, a, across the field, they said, I have a certain expectation. I have a confident expectation that I don't see harvest right now, but I know it's coming. I know it's coming. I know that what I can see looks like a Cambodian wasteland right now, but I know that there's something underneath the surface. That what I can see is mess and hurt and pain, but I have a confidence in God that he can work all things together for the good of those who love him. So the power of hope that means even when you can't see it, there's a confidence that God is working. And so that hope comes through our faith in God, that he who has promised is faithful. Come on, that's a word for somebody this morning. That when all you can see is mud, when all you can see is difficulty, when all you can see is, is pain or anxiety or, or grief, is there a hope that can rise? Is there a confident expectation that he who has promised is faithful? You see, it's our hope in God that changes our perspective on every situation. It's our hope in God that that changes our focus. Rather than focusing on, on the fear or on the difficulty, it's the ability to lift our eyes above the situation and fix our eyes on Him, the author and the perfecter of our faith, the one who spoke and the world came into being. The one who said, yeah, yeah, this is impossible with man, but with God, all things are possible. See, it's the power of hope that shifts our perspective. I want to read you just one verse. No, we're going to skip over the verse in Philippians, but there's a passion translation of, a, of the latter verse in Philippians 4, 
We read verse 7 before. In verse 8, in the Passion Translation, it says this. Fasten your thoughts on every glorious work of God. Fasten your thoughts on every glorious work of God. And the God of peace will be with you in all things. Come on, when we shift our thoughts, when we shift our focus, and say, this isn't about what I see, this isn't about how I feel, this is about a God that is with me. That it changes our vision. It changes our, our focus on the season that we're going in. And, and for myself and Galen, even in the last couple of months, there's been some things over the last few months that if you just looked at it with sight, have been hard to see. And there's been some stuff that, that we've gone through or that we've walked through or are walking through that you say, well, if, if I was just to judge it on the experience right now, I don't want to be here. This is a hard thing to go through. And yet in every season, there's been a, a confidence of what it means to fix our eyes on Jesus. To know that he who has promised is faithful. So even though you might not see what you think would be the faithfulness of God right now in this situation, where's your confidence at? Where's your hope at right now? Because if your hope is only rooted in if I can see it, then I believe it then you're in for a rough ride. Because faith is the confidence in things not seen. So even when I don't see it, I know that he's working. Even when I can't feel it right now, I feel all of the emotions of the, of the situation, there's a greater thing that determines the course of my life than my, my feelings and my perspective and my problems because there's a hope that we have. And I want to hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. And I think that's a word for somebody this morning because you're swirling around in the situation. Saw a vision of almost like that, that whirlwind that, that comes that we've seen daft people chasing in American states. They're like, let's chase after that thing that's going to cause death and destruction to everybody. Let's get close to it. And as a whirlwind rips up everything in, it, in its path, and some of you, I feel like there's a word that you feel like things are swirling right now. It's like, I can't, I can't get a grip. There's this and there's that. How am I Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For he, that has pro he who has promised is faithful. Come on, he's faithful in every season. He's faithful in every storm. The twists and turns of life are part of the realities of what it means to live in this broken world. But it doesn't mean that we have to be defined by those things, when we have a vision of the one that is faithful. Would you close your eyes right across this room? In a moment, we're going to worship. And I believe as we worship, we're going to seal in our hearts this declaration of faith, this vision that God wants to give us, that even when we can't see it, that he's working. But if you know this morning that you haven't put your trust in God, Maybe you've never accepted Christ into your life and you've heard us talking about an unswerving hope that we can hold on to and you're like, I could do with that in the swirl that I'm in. I could do with that in the storm that I'm in. Or maybe you, you once put your trust in God and you, if you're honest, maybe because of the swirling situations, you've, you've let go of Jesus and you've been trying to grab hold onto other things and you want to make a declaration today to say, I'm choosing to put my trust in the unshakable 
truth of Jesus. So if you know this morning that you need to accept Jesus into your life or into this situation, as every head's bowed, every eye's closed, would you just raise your hand and take a moment to say, yeah, I choose to put my trust in Jesus today. That's great. Anybody else this morning say, yeah, this is my moment. In this situation or in my life, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Come on, let's stand this morning, church. The confidence that comes through putting your trust in Jesus changes everything. Changes everything of the way that you approach the seasons of your life. It changes everything about what you see right now and where you're going. The confidence that comes from knowing that if God is with me, who can be against me? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. It changes our vision. It changes our perspective because our hope is rooted on the unshakable foundation of Jesus. God, we just thank you this morning for all that you're doing in this place. God, we thank you that even in the midst of a season we can't understand, we can put our trust in you. God, help us not just in this moment, but as we go from here to live visionary lives. Not visions based on our ability, but visions based on your sovereignty. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Influence Church. For any more information, visit our website, influencechurch.co.uk. Influence Church, empowering you to make a difference in your world for the kingdom of God.